Hi, and welcome back to SEPA Stories. So, this is our final chapter reading Stephen King's The Gunslinger. And we've made it to the very end of our journey with Roland, no longer Jake. We have now lost Jake. And as the um, gunslinger has finally won through past the mountain, or through the mountain, and is now ready to meet with the man in black. He's finally caught up with his quarry. So, um, a little bit about this page before I begin. The facing page before this final chapter is titled The Gunslinger and the Man in Black. And there's another pen and ink drawing, and it looks like there is a skeleton wearing a cloak and hood, like, you know, the skeleton's wearing clothing. Behind the skeleton looks to be like a branch or a limb from a tree. And between the thumb and, you know, of course, uh, forefinger, I guess, of the skeletons, it looks to be right hand. Is up. Looks, he looks to be holding a blade of grass. So this is like a little woodcut. And as I mentioned in our last recording, I'm breaking this small chapter into two pieces. Not because it's so long, but because there's a lot of information here. And... Whenever I've read this book, I always have to read this last chapter a couple of times. The first time, I had to come back and listen to this like three times to wrap my brain around it. So I'm not at all insulting your intelligence or ability to comprehend. I I found it to be a lot. So I wanted to make sure I gave this section of the reading the due attention I felt it deserved. So with that, let's begin the beginning to the final chapter. The Gunslinger and the Man in Black, which is chapter 5. The Man in Black led him to an ancient killing ground to make palaver. The Gunslinger knew it immediately, a Golgotha, a place of the skull, and Bleach Skull stared blandly up at them. Cattle, coyotes, deer, rabbits, bumblers. And here, an alabaster xylophone of a hen pheasant killed as she fed. There, the tiny, delicate bones of a mole, perhaps killed for pleasure by a wild dog. The Golgotha was a bowl indented into the descending slope of the mountain. And below, in easier altitudes, the gunslinger could see Joshua trees and scrub firs. The sky overhead was a softer blue than he had seen for a twelvemonth, and there was an indefinable something that spoke of the sea and the not-too-great distance. I am in the west, Cuthbert, he thought wonderingly. If this is not mid-world, it's close by. The man in black sat on an ancient ironwood log. His boots were powdered white with dust and the uneasy bone mill of this place. He had put his hood up again, and the gunslinger could see the square shape of his chin clearly, and the shading of his jaw. The shadowed lips twitched in a smile. Gather wood, gunslinger. This side of the mountain is gentle, but at this altitude, the cold may still put a knife in one's belly. And this is a place of death, huh? I'll kill you, the gunslinger said. No, you won't. You can't. But you can gather wood to remember your Isaac. The gunslinger had no understanding of the reference. He went wordlessly and gathered wood like a common cook's boy. The pickings were slim. There was no double grass on this side of the iron, and the iron wood would not burn. It had become stone. He returned finally with a large armful of likely sticks powdered and dusted with disintegrated bone as if dipped in flour. The sun had sunk beyond the highest Joshua trees and had taken on a reddish glow. It peered at them with baleful indifference. Excellent, said the man in black. How exceptional you are, how methodical, how resourceful. I salute you. 
He giggled, and the gunslinger dropped the word at his feet with a crash that ballooned up bone dust. The man in black did not start or jump. He merely began laying the fire. The gunslinger watched, fascinated as the ideogram, fresh this time, took shape. When it was finished, it resembled a small and complex double chimney, about two feet high. The man in black lifted his hand skyward, shaking the voluminous, voluminous sleeve from a tapered, handsome hand, and brought it down rapidly. Index and finger, pinky fingers forked out in the traditional sign of the evil eye. There was a blue flash of flame, and their fire was lighted. I have matches, the man in black said jovially, but I thought you might enjoy the magic for a pretty gunslinger. Now cook our dinner. The folds of his robe shivered, and the plucked and gutted carcass of a plump rabbit fell on the dirt. The gunslinger spitted the rabbit wordlessly and roasted it. A savory smell drifted up as the sun went down. Purple shadows drifted hungrily over the bowl where the man in black had chosen to finally face him. The gunslinger felt hunger begin to rumble endlessly in his belly as the rabbit browned. But when the meat was cooked and its juices sealed in, he handed the entire skewer wordlessly to the man in black, rummaged in his own nearly flat knapsack, and withdrew the last of his jerky. It was salty painful to his mouth and tasted like tears. That's a worthless gesture, the man in black said, managing to sound angry and amused at the same time. Nevertheless, the gunslinger said, there were tiny sores in his mouth the result of vitamin deprivation, and the salt taste made him grin bitterly. Are you afraid of enchanted meat? Yes, indeed. The man in black slipped his hood back. The gunslinger looked at him silently, and away the face the hood had hidden was an uneasy disappointment. It was handsome and regular, with none of the marks and twists which indicate a man who has been through awesome times and has been privy to great secrets. His hair was black and of a ragged, matted length. His forehead was high, his eyes dark and brilliant. His nose was nondescript. His lips were full and sensual. His complexion was pallid, as was the gunslinger's own. The gunslinger said finally, I expected an old man. Why, I'm nearly immortal, as are you, Roland, for now at least. I could have taken a face with which you would have been more familiar, but I elected to show you the one I was uh, born with. See, gunslinger, the sunset. The sun had departed already, and the western sky was filled with sullen furnace light. You won't see another sunrise from what may seem a very long time, the man in black said. The gunslinger remembered the pit under the mountains and looked at the sky, where the constellations sprawled in confusion in cockspring profusion. It doesn't matter, he said softly, now. The man in black shuffled the cards with flying hands. The deck was huge, and the designs on the back convoluted. These are tarot cards, gunslinger of a sort, a mixture of the standard deck to which had been added a selection of my own development. Now watch carefully. What will I watch? I'm going to tell your future. Seven cards must be turned one at a time and placed in conjunction with the others. I've not done this since the days when Gilead stood and the ladies played at points on the west lawn. And I suspect I've never read a tale such as yours. Mockery was creeping into the voice again. You are the world's last adventurer, the last crusader. How that must please you, Roland. Yet you have no idea of how close you stand to the tower now as you resume your quest worlds turn above your head. What do you mean resume? I've never left off. At this the man in black laughed heartily but would not say what he found so funny. Read my fortune then, Roland said harshly. The first card was turned. The hanged man, the man in black said. The darkness had given him back his hood. 
Yet here, in conjunction with nothing else, it signifies strength, not death. You, gunslinger, are the hanged man, plodding ever onward toward your goal over the pits of Nar. And you've already dropped one crow traveler into that pit, have you not? The gunslinger said nothing, and the second card was turned. The sailor note the clear brow, the hairless cheeks, the wounded eyes. He drowns, gunslinger, and no one throws out the line. The boy Jake. The gunslinger winced, said nothing. A third card was turned. A baboon stood grinningly astride a young man's shoulder. The young man's face was turned up, a grimace of stylized dread, horror on his features. Looking more closely, the gunslinger saw the baboon held a whip. The prisoner, the man in black said. The fire cast an easy, flickering shadows over the face of the ridden man, making it seem to move and writhe in wordless terror. The gunslinger flicked his eyes away. A trifle upsetting, isn't he? The man in black said, and seemed on the verge of sniggering. He turned the fourth card. A woman with a shawl over her head sat spinning at a wheel. To the gunslinger's dazed eyes, she appeared to be smiling craftily and sobbing at the same time. The lady of shadows, the man in black remarked. Does she look two-faced to you, gunslinger? She is. Two faces, at least. She broke that blue plate. What do you mean? I don't know. And in this case, at least, the gunslinger thought his adversary was telling the truth. Why are you showing me these? Don't ask, the man in black said sharply. Yet he smiled. Don't ask. Merely watch. Consider this only pointless ritual if it eases you and cools you to do so, like church. He tittered and turned the fifth card. A greening reaper clutched the scythe with bony fingers. Death, the man in black said simply, yet not for you. The sixth card. The gunslinger looked at it and felt a strange, crawling anticipation in his guts. The feeling was mixed with horror and joy, and the whole of the emotion was unnameable. It made him feel like throwing up and dancing at the same time. The tower, the man in black said softly. Here is the tower. The gunslinger's card occupied the center of the pattern. Each of the following four stood at one corner, like satellites circling a star. Where does that one go? The gunslinger asked. The man in black placed the tower over the hanged man, covering it completely. What does it mean? The gunslinger asked. The man in black did not answer. What does that mean? He asked raggedly. The man in black did not answer. God damn you! No answer. Then be damned to you! What's the seventh card? The man in black turned the seventh. A sun rose in a luminous blue sky. Cupids and sprites sported around it. Below the sun was a great field upon which it shone. Roses? Or blood? The, gunsling the gunslinger could not tell. Perhaps he thought it's both. The seventh card is life, the man in black said softly, but not for you. Where does it fit the pattern? That is not for you to know now, the man in black said, or for me to know. I'm not the great one you seek, Roland. I am merely his emissary. He flipped the card carelessly into the dying fire. It charred, curled, and flashed to flame. The gunslinger felt his heart quail and turn icy in his chest. Sleep now, the man in black said carelessly, perchance to dream and that sort of thing. What my bullets won't do may at my hands will, the gunslinger said. His legs coiled with savage, sudden splendidness, and he flew across the fire at the other, arms outstretched. The man in black, smiling, swelled in his vision, then retreated down a long and echoing corridor. 
the world filled with the sound of sardonic laughter. He was falling, dying, sleeping. He dreamed. The universe was void. Nothing moved, nothing was. The gunslinger drifted, bemused. Let's have a little light, the voice of the man in black said nonchalantly, and there was light. The gunslinger thought in a detached way the light was pretty good. Now darkness overhead with stars in it, water down below. It happened. He drifted over endless seas. Above the stars twinkled endlessly, yet he saw none of the constellations which had guided him across his long life. Land, the man in black invited, and there it was. It heaved itself out of the water in endless galvanic convulsions. It was red, arid, cracked and glazed with sterility. Volcanoes blurted endless magma like giant pimples on some ugly adolescent's baseball head. Okay, the man in black was saying, that's a star. Let's have some plants, trees, grass, and fields. There was. Dinosaurs rumbled here and there, growling and woofing and eating each other and getting stuck in bubbling tar pits. Huge tropical rainforests sprawled everywhere. Giant ferns waved at the sky with serrated leaves. Beetles with two heads crawled on some of them. All this the gunslinger saw, yet he felt big. Now bring man, the man in black said softly, and but the gunslinger was falling falling up. The horizon of this vast and fecund earth began to curve. Yes, they had said it curved, as teacher Vanet had claimed it had been proved long before the world had moved on, but this? Further and further, higher and higher, continents took shape before his amazed eyes and were obscured with clock springs of clouds. The world's atmosphere held in a placental sack, and the sun rising beyond the earth's shoulder. He cried out through an arm before his eyes, Let there be light! The voice no longer belonged to the man in black. It was gigantic, echoing. It filled space, and the space between space. Light! Falling, falling, the sun shrank. A red planet stamped with canals whirled past him, two moons circling it furiously. Beyond this was a whirring belt of stones and a gigantic planet that seethed with gases too huge to support itself, a blade in consequence. Further out was a ringed world that glittered like a precious gem within its engirdlement of icy spills. Light! Let there be other worlds, one, two, three, far beyond the last, one lonely ball of ice and rock twirled in dead darkness about a sun that glittered no brighter than a tarnished penny. Beyond this darkness, no, the gunsinger said, and his word on it was flat and echoless in the black. It was darker than dark, blacker than black. Beside this, the darkest night of a man's soul is his noonday, the darkness under the mountains, a mere smudge on the face of light. No more, please, please, no more now, no more light, no more, no more, please. The stars themselves began to shrink. Whole nebulae drew together and became glowing smudges. The whole universe seemed to be drawing around him. Please, no more, no more, no more. The voice of the man in black whispered silkily in his ear. Then Reneg, cast away all thought of the tower. Go your way, gunslinger, and begin the long job of saving your soul. He gathered himself, shaken and alone, and wrapped in the darkness, terrified of an ultimate meaning rushing at him, but he gathered himself and uttered the final answer on that subject. Never! Then let there be light! 
and there was light crashing in on him like a hammer a great and primordial light consciousness had no chance of survival in that great glare but before it perished the gunslinger saw something clearly something he believed to be of cosmic importance he clutched at it with agonized effort and then went deep seeking refuge in himself before the light should blind his eyes and blast his sanity he fled the light and the knowledge the light implied, and so came back to himself, even so to do the rest of us, even so the best of us. It was still night, whether the same or another, he had no immediate way of knowing. He pushed himself up from where his demon sprung at the man in black had carried him. I'm sorry. He pushed himself up from where his demon spring at the man in black had carried him and looked at the ironwood where Walter woke dim as some along Roland's way had named him had been sitting. He was gone. A great sense of despair flooded him. God, all that to do over again. And then the man in black said from behind him, Over here again, Slinger. I don't like you so close. You talk in your sleep, he tittered. The gunslinger got groggily to his knees and turned around. The fire had burned down to red embers and gray ashes, leaving the familiar decayed pattern of exhausted fuel. The man in black was seated next to it, smacking his lips with unlovely enthusiasm over the greasy remains of the rabbit. "'You did fairly well,' the man in black said. "'I never could have sent that vision to your father. He would have come back drooling.' What was it? the gunslinger asked. His words were blurred and shaky. He felt that if he tried to rise, his legs would buckle. The universe, the man in black said carelessly. He burped and threw the bones into the fire where they glistened and then blackened. The wind above the cup of the goggle keened and moaned. Universe? the gunslinger said blankly. It was a word with which he was unfamiliar. His first thought was a the other was speaking poetry. You want the tower, the man in black said. It seemed to be a question. Yes. Well, you shan't have it, the man in black said and smiled with bright cruelty. No one cares in the councils of the great if you pawn your soul or sell it outright, Roland. I have an idea how close to the edge that last pushed you. The tower will kill you half a world away. You know nothing of me gunslinger said quietly, and the smile faded from the other's lips. I made your father and I broke him, the man in black said grimly. I came to your mother as Martin. There is a truth you always suspected, is it not? And took her. She bent beneath me like a willow, though, and this may comfort you, she never broke. In any case, it was written, and it was, I am the furthest minion of he who now rules the dark tower, and earth has been given into that king's red hand. Red, why do you say red? Never mind, I'll not speak of him, although you'll learn more than you care to if you press on. What will hurt you once will hurt you twice. This is not the beginning of the beginning's end. You do well to remember that, but you never do. I don't understand. No, you don't. You never did, and you never will. You have no imagination. You're blind that way. What did I see? The gunslinger asked. What did I see at the end? What was it? What did it seem to be? The gunslinger was silent, thoughtful. He felt for his tobacco, but there was none. The man in black did not offer to refill his poke, either by black magic or white. Later he might find more in his grow bag, but later seemed very far away now. There was light, the gunslinger said finally. Gray, white light, and then he broke off and stared at the man in black. He was leaning forward, and an alien emotion was stamped on his face, writ too large for lies or denial. It was awe or wonder. Perhaps they were the same. 
You don't know, he said and began to smile. Oh, great sorcerer who brings the dead to life. You don't know. You're a fake. I know, the man in black said. But I don't know what. White light, the gunslinger repeated. And then a blade of grass. One single blade of grass had filled everything. And I was tiny and infinitesimal. Grass? The man in black closed his eyes. His face looked drawn and haggard. A blade of grass. Are you sure? Yes, the gunslinger frowned. But it was purple. Hear me now, Roland Son of Stephen. Would you hear me? Yes. And so the man in black began to speak. And we'll take a quick break. We'll let that sink in for a moment. And I'll join you in just a moment. Hi, and welcome back to Sepa Stories. All right, we are in the final stretch of this wonderful book. All right, so Roland has explained to the man in black, who was called Walter O'Dim, and who now the man in black has also admitted he was once also Martin, and who we now know was also the good man Farson. This man has worn many faces. Um, the gunslinger has explained that he saw a single blade of grass, but that it was purple. Also, the gunslinger has called and has called uh, the man in black out on his fakery that, you know, the, the man in black is leaning in, wanting to hear what Roland had seen, you know, and this look of, of, avid curiosity you know this anticipations on his face and Roland realizes the man in black doesn't have all the answers so that's wonderful so let's continue on and let's bring this journey to a close all right and we shall begin and so the man in black began to speak the universe he said is the great all and offers a paradox too great for the finite mind to grasp. As a living brain cannot conceive of a non-living brain, although it may think it can, and the finite mind cannot grasp the infinite. The prosaic fact of the universe's existence alone defeats both the pragmatist and the romantic. There was a time yet a hundred generations before the world moved on when mankind had achieved enough technical and scientific prowess to chip a few splinters from the great stone pillar of reality. Even so, the false light of science, knowledge if you like, shone in only a few developed countries. One company, or Cabell, led the way in this regard, North Central Positronics, it called itself. Yet despite a tremendous increase in available facts, there were remarkably few insights. Gunslinger, our many times great-grandfathers conquered the disease which rots, which they called cancer. Almost conquered, aging, walked on the moon. I don't believe that, the gunslinger said flatly. To this the man in black merely smiled and answered, You needn't, yet it was so. They made or discovered over a hundred other marvelous baubles, but this wealth of information produced little or no insight. There were no great odes written to the wonders of artificial insemination, having babies from frozen man-sperm, or to the cars that ran on power from the sun. Few, if any, seemed to have grasped the truest principle of reality. New knowledge leads always to yet more awesome mysteries. Greater physiological knowledge of the brain makes the existence of the soul less possible, yet more probable by the nature of the search. Do you see? Of course you don't. You've reached the limits of your ability to comprehend, but never mind. That's beside the point. What is the point, then? The greatest mystery the universe offers is not life, but size. Size encompasses life and the tower encompasses size. The child who is most at home with wonder says, Daddy, what is above the sky? And the father says, The darkness of space. The child, and what is beyond space? The father, the galaxy. 
the child beyond the galaxy the father another galaxy the child beyond the other galaxies the father no one knows you see science defeats us for the fish the lake in which he lives is the universe just the fish think when he is jerked up by the mouth through the silver limits of existence and into a new universe where the air drowns him and the light is blue madness where huge bipeds with no gills stuff into a suffocating box and cover it with wet weeds to die or one might take the tip of a pencil and magnify it. One reaches the point where a stunning realization strikes home. The pencil tip is not solid. It is composed of atoms which whirl and revolve like a trillion demon planets. What seems solid to us is actually only a loose net held together by gravity. Viewed at their actual size, the distances between these atoms might become leagues, gulf, Aeons. The atoms themselves are composed of nuclei and revolving protons and electrons. One may step down further to subatomic particles and then to what? Tachyons? Nothing? Of course not. Everything in the universe defies nothing. To, to suggest an ending is the one absurdity. If you fell outward towards the limit of the universe, which you find a board fence with signs reading dead end? No, you might find something hard and rounded, as the chick must see the egg from the inside. And if you pick through that shell, or find a door, where great torrential light might shine through your opening at the end of space. Might you look through and discover our entire universe is but a part of one atom on a blade of grass? You might be forced to think that by burning a trig, you incinerate an eternity of eternities. That existence rises not to one infinite, but to an infinity of them. Perhaps you saw what place our universe plays in the scheme of things, as no more than an atom in a blade of grass. Could it be that everything we perceive, from the microscopic virus to the distant horsehead nebula, is contained in one blade of grass that might have existed for only a single season in an alien time flow? What if that blade of grass should be cut off by a scythe? When it begins to die, would the rot seep into our own universe and our own lives, turning everything yellow and brown and desiccated? Perhaps it's already begun to happen. We say the world has moved on. Well, maybe what we really mean is that it has begun to dry up. Think how such a small concept of things makes a gunslinger. If God watches over it all, does he actually mete out justice for a race of gnats among an infinitude of races of gnats? Does his eye see the sparrow fall when the sparrow is less than a speck of hydrogen floating disconnected in a depth of space? And if he does see, what must be the nature of such a God be? Where does he live? And how is it possible to live beyond infinity? Imagine the sand of the Mohane Desert which you cross to find me, and imagine a trillion universes, not worlds, but universes encapsulated in each grain of that desert and within each universe an infinity of others. We tower over these universes from our pitiful grass vantage point. With one swing of your boot you may knock a billion, billion worlds flying off into darkness and a chain never to be completed. Size, gunslinger, size. Yet suppose further, Suppose that all worlds, all universes, meet in a single nexus, a single pylon, a tower, and within it a stairway, perhaps rising to the Godhead itself. Would you dare climb to the top gunslinger? Could it be that somewhere above all the endless reality there exists a room? You dare not. And the gunslinger, in the gunslinger's mind, those words echoed, you dare not. Someone has dared, the gunslinger said. Who would that be? God, the gunslinger spoke softly. His eyes gleamed. God has dared, or the king you spoke of, or, or is the room empty, seer? 
I don't know. Fear passed over the man in black's bland face, as soft and dark as a buzzard's wings. And furthermore, I don't ask. It might be unwise. Afraid of being struck dead? Perhaps afraid of an accounting. The man in black was silent for a while. The night was very long. The Milky Way sprawled above them in great splendor, yet terrifying, and the emptiness between its burning lamps. The gunslinger wondered what he would feel if that inky sky should split open and let in a torrent of light. The fire, he said, I'm cold. Pull it up yourself, the man in black, said the man in black. It's a butler's night off. The gunslinger drowsed a while and woke to see the man in black regarding him avidly, unhealthily. What are you staring at? An old saying of courts occurred to him. Do you see your sister's bum? I'm staring at you, of course. Well, don't. He poked up the fire, ruining the precision of the ideogram. I don't like it. He looked to the east to see if there was the beginning of night, of light, but this night went on and on. You seek the light so soon? I was made for light. <laughs> so you were, and so impolite of me to forget the fact. Yet we have much to discuss, yet you and I, for so it has been told to me by my king and master. Who is this king? The man in black smiled. Shall we tell the truth then, you and I, no more lies? I thought we had been. But the man in black persisted, as if Roland hadn't spoken. Shall there be truth between us, as two men, not as friends, but as equals? There's an offer you will get rarely, Roland. Only equals speak the truth. That's my thought on it. Friends and lovers lie endlessly, caught in the web of regard. How tiresome. Well, I wouldn't want to tire you, so let's speak truth. He had never spoken less on this night. Start by telling me what exactly you mean by glamour. Why enchantment, gunslinger? My king's enchantment has prolonged this night, and will prolong it until our palaver is done. How long will that be? Long. I can tell you no better. I don't know myself. The man in black stood over the fire, and the glowing embers made patterns on his face. Ask, and I will tell you what I know. You have caught me. It is fair. I did not think you would. Yet your quest has only begun. Ask. It will lead us to business soon enough. Who is your king? I have never seen him. But you must, before you meet him, you must first meet the ageless stranger. The man in black smiled spitelessly. You must slay him, gunslinger. Yet I think it is not what you wish to ask. If you've never seen your king and master, how do you know him? He comes to me in dreams. As a stripling, he came to me when I lived poor and unknown in a far land. A sheaf of centuries ago, he imbued me with my duty and promised me my reward. Although there were many errands in my youth in the days of my manhood before my apotheosis. You are that apotheosis, gunslinger. You are my climax, he tittered. You see, someone has taken you seriously. And the stranger, does he have a name? Oh, he is named. And what is he named? Legion, the man in black said softly. And somewhere in the easterly darkness where the mountains lay, a rock slide punctuated his words and a puma screamed like a woman. The gunslinger shivered and the man in black flinched. Yet I do not think that is what you wish to ask either. It's not your nature to think so far ahead. The gunslinger knew the question. It had gnawed him all this night, and he thought for years before. It trembled on his lips, but he didn't ask it. Not yet. Is the stranger a minion of the Dark Tower like yourself? Are he darkles, he tints, he is in all times, yet there is one greater than he. Who? Ask me no more, the man in black cried, his voice aspired to sternness and crumbled into beseechment. I know not. I do not wish to know. To speak of such things in the world is to speak of the ruination of one's soul. 
and beyond the ageless stranger is the tower, and whatever the tower contains? Yes, whispered the man in black, but none of these things are what you wish to ask. True. All right, the gunslinger said, and then asked the world's oldest question. Will I succeed? Will I win through? If I answered that question, gunslinger, you'd kill me. I ought to kill you. You need killing. His hands dropped to the worn butts of his guns. Those do not open doors, gunslinger. They only close them forever. Where must I go? Start west. Go to the sea, where the world ends is where you must begin. There was a man who gave you advice. The man you bested so long ago. Yes, court. The gunslinger interrupted impatiently. The advice was to wait. It was bad advice, for even then my plans against your father had proceeded. He sent you away, and when you returned, I'd not hear you speak of that, the gunslinger said, and in his mind he heard his mother singing, Baby bunting, baby dear, baby bring your basket then hear this, when you returned, Martin had gone west to join the rebels. So all said. Anyway, and so you believed. Yet he and a certain witch left you a trap and you fell into it. Good boy. And although Martin was long gone by then, there was a man who sometimes made you think of him, was there not? A man who affected the dress of a monk and the shaven head of a penitent. Walter, the gunslinger whispered, and although he had come so far in his musings, the bald truth still amazed him. You, Martin never left at all. The man in black tittered, at your service. I ought to kill you now. That would hardly be fair. Besides, all of that was long ago. Now comes the time of sharing. You never left, the gunslinger repeated, stunned. You only changed. Sit, the man in black invited. I'll tell you stories, as many as you would hear. Your own stories, I think, will be much longer. I don't talk of myself, the gunslinger muttered. Yet tonight you must, so that we may understand. Understand what? My purpose? You know that. To find the tower is my purpose, I'm sworn. Not your purpose, gunslinger, your mind, your slow, plodding, tenacious mind. There's never been one quite like it in all the history of the world, perhaps in the history of creation. This is the time of speaking, the time of histories, then speak. The man in black shook the voluminous arm rope arm of his robe. A foil-wrapped package fell out and caught the dying embers in many reflected folds. Tobacco, gunslinger, would you smoke? He had been able to resist the rabbit, but he could not resist this. He opened the foil with eager fingers. There was a fine crumpled tobacco inside, the green leaves to wrap it in, amazingly moist. He had not seen such tobacco for ten years. He rolled two cigarettes and bit the ends of each to release the flavor. He offered one to the man in black who took it. Each of them took a burning twig from the fire. The gunslinger lit his cigarette and drew the aromatic smoke deep into his lungs, closing his eyes to concentrate the senses. He blew out with long, slow satisfaction. Is it good? The man in black inquired. Yes, very good. Enjoy it. They may be the last smoke for you in a very long time. The gunslinger took this impassively. Very well, the man in black said. To begin then, you must understand that tower has always been, and there have always been boys who know of it and lust for it, more than powers or riches, riches or women, boys who look for doors that lead to it. There was talk then, a night's worth of talk, and God alone knew how much more, or how much was true, but the gunslinger remembered little of it later. 
and to his oddly practical mind little of it seemed to matter. The man in black told him again that he must go to the sea, which lay no more than twenty easy miles to the west, and there he would be invested with the power of drawing. But that's not exactly right either, the man in black said, pitching his cigarette into the remains of the campfire. No one wants to invest you with the power of any kind, gunslinger. It's simply in you, and I'm compelled to tell you, partly because of the sacrifice of the boy, and partly because it's the law, the natural law of things. Water must run downhill, and so you must be told. You will draw three, I understand, but I don't really care, and I don't really want to know. The three, the gunslinger murmured, thinking of the oracle, and then the fun begins, but by then I'll be long gone. Goodbye, gunslinger. My part is done now. The chain is in your hands, where it doesn't wrap itself around your neck. Compelled by something outside of him, Roland said, You have one more thing to say, don't you? Yes, the man in black said, and he smiled at the gunslinger with his depthless eyes and stretched one of his hands out towards him. Let there be light. And there was light, and this time the light was good. Roland awoke by the ruins of the campfire to find himself ten years older. His black hair had thinned at the temples, and there had gone the gray of cobwebs at the end of autumn. The lines in his face were deeper, his skin rougher. The remains of the wood he had carried had turned to something like stone. The man in black was a laughing skeleton in a rotting black robe. More bones in this place of bones, one more skull in this Golgotha. Or is it really you, he thought, I have my doubts, Walter O'Dim. I have my doubts, Martin, that was. He stood up and looked around. Then, with a sudden quick gesture, he reached towards the remains of his companion of the night before, if indeed the remains of Walter. A night that had somehow lasted ten years, he broke off the grinning jawbone and jammed it carelessly into the left hip pocket of his jeans, a fitting enough replacement for the one lost under the mountains. How many lies did you tell me? he asked. Many, he was sure. But what made them good lies was that they had been mixed with the truth. The tower, somewhere ahead, it waited for him. The nexus of time, the nexus of size. He began west again, his back set against the sunrise, heading toward the ocean, realizing that a great passage of his life had come and gone. I loved you, Jake, he said aloud. The stiffness wore out of his body, and he began to walk more rapidly. But that evening he had come to the end of the land. He sat on a beach which stretched left and right forever, deserted. The waves beat endlessly against the shore, pounding and pounding. The setting sun painted the water in a wide strip of fool's gold. There the gunslinger sat. His face turned up into the fading light. He dreamed his dreams and watched as the stars came out. His purpose did not flag, nor did his heart falter. His hair finer now and gray at the temples blew around his head, and the sandalwood inlaid guns of his father lay smooth and deadly against his hips, and he was lonely but did not find the loneliness in any way a bad or ignoble thing. The dark came down, and the world moved on. The gunslinger waited for the time of the drawing, and dreamed his long dreams of the dark tower, to which he would some day come at dusk and approach, winding his horn to do some unimaginable final battle. And there, my dear friends, is the end of this marvelous book. There is a small square pen and ink drawing.
a few, about an inch underneath this parting final sentence. And it is a hand that is throwing tarot cards that are on fire. So it's lovely. It's, it's beautiful. Wow. What did you think of that? I love this. So you can see why I broke this final chapter into two pieces, primarily because there's a lot happening. Um, you have this final confrontation between the man in black now and Roland. Roland, who we know now is Martin, Walter O'Dim, of course, the man in black, the good man, Farson. This man has, as I've mentioned before, worn many faces and been in many places. And he is following, I guess, the natural order. He is having to tell Roland some truths, but we don't know if they're true at this point. And, you know, Roland doesn't really know what to believe. And when Martin tells him about things like artificial insemination and cars that run on power by the sun, to me, some of what Martin was saying was kind of a way to and for lack of a better way to put this, you know, kind of BS Roland, you know, like baffling him with his brilliance kind of thing. Um, Roland's world, we don't know that these things exist. He didn't know about mannequins or New York or, you know, the, the things that Jake talked about. Jake might have recognized some of the things the man in black was talking about, or he would have known what cancer was. That's, you know, something that Jake might have heard in New York. So we get a sense that the man in black, you know, is knowledgeable about many places or many times or many things. And, but not knowledgeable enough to be able to understand what it is Roland has understood or has seen. And they have this whole discussion about a single blade of grass, which when Roland saw it, was purple. And that's the one thing, you know, that Roland is grasping onto and that he feels it's of such huge importance that he just, that's the thing, you know, that he's really avidly holding on to. At the end, you know, um, 10 years have passed in this nighttime that Walter Oldim has, has told, or Martin has told Roland, that it's been an enchanted night. So the night has lasted 10 years, and when Roland awakes, I guess, from a final slumber, you know, the man in black is now nothing more than a skeleton and the black robes. And seeing the skeleton, he takes the jawbone and puts it in his pocket, and during their palaver, their talk, the man in black has given him direction. You start at the end of the world. So he's beginning where the sea is at. And so there's a sea. I had mentioned that there was another wonderful illustration. This illustration was pretty much on top of the page where Jake falls under the mountain. And it didn't seem appropriate to... to talk about the illustration before getting to the end of the book because this illustration is the ending. It is Roland sitting on a piece of driftwood on a beach overlooking the sun setting over some water or maybe the sun's rising and clouded behind the sun you see the dim silhouette of a tower, almost like it's, you know, a, a vision on the horizon reaching, you know, kind of mythically from the clouds that are above just the sunning or the rising sun into the sky. And so, you know, the, the gunslinger is out looking out towards this. So it's beautiful. You know, it's a really lovely. It's pastel, a lot of pastel. You see the back of the gunslinger, you know, with the hat, and he's he's got his western wear, and you see the gun on his hip. So 
I love this, you know, and I love that he still recalls Jake. I loved you, Jake, you know, and I don't know if that redeems him for having sacrificed Jake. And and then, of course, I had referenced the um, sacrifice of Isaac as they were going up the mountain, and I thought it was wonderful that the man in black actually does say this to Roland, but he doesn't know the reference or the story. And Jake and Roland had talked about something about the Bible, but Roland had admitted to Jake that he was never a scholar of that book. So, you know, that that was a nice detail. And ever on through this final chapter, it's like the man in black is still mocking and leading and driving and, you know, for kind of being a jerk, you know, to, to Roland and egging him on and being irritating and, you know, just, they're not friends, you know, by any means. I thought it was interesting when Walter O'Dim or Martin, the man in black, says to Roland, let's talk as equals, let's, let's, let's be truthful. Roland's like, I thought we were. So, you know, um, that was evocative and, and provocative for me. I, I loved the way that that whole conversation happens. So now we know something about somebody called the Ageless Stranger. And we have even more questions as the story, you know, ends. So I loved this. This was marvelous, wonderful. You know, it's everything to me a book should be. And, you know, absolutely delicious. Now, here's what's marvelous about this book. I'm looking at the publication page. And it says the Gunslinger's copyright was initially done in 1978 by Mercury Press. So when this book was out, I was a very little girl. And, you know, so <laughs> this was already written, and I, I might have been five or six at the time, maybe. And to have discovered this book myself as, you know, an adult, because I didn't read this when I was younger. I read this well into my adulthood. Um, a lot of times you read books and they don't stand up, you know, they don't stand up well to the test of time, kind of like watching a film and, you know, everybody has touch phones right now and you watch a film and they've got the flip phone. Or, or, you know, they're driving that year's most recent car model and that's, you know, or cutting edge technology, kind of like, you know, through Jurassic Park out here, but um, Jurassic Park, yes, I've seen this before, it's a DVD-ROM, you know, <laughs> you know, you look at it now and sometimes films or media or books, they don't stand up to the passage of time. This book was written in 19, or at least copyrighted in 1978 and here we are um, 2020 and to me this book reads as fresh and clean and marvelous today as it did probably in 1978 now I know that this particular story it's interesting there's some things and some dialogue that if you had the first publication and you compared the books there would be different definite differences. This was revised, I believe, as Stephen King was completing the Dark Tower series. And I kind of like this particular version the best. Some people are book purists and they, oh, I like the original how it was. Okay, f that's great. I love this one um, because it was cleaned up for me in a way that made more sense, had more poetry, had better flow, and it ties the rest of the series associated to this book more firmly together. So there are many books after this one. Uh, the next one is called, I believe, The Drawing of the Three. Then after The Drawing of the Three, I believe we have the Wastelands. I could be wrong. I don't want to lie to you. It's Like I said, it's been a while since I've read this series. Then we had Wizard and Glass. And after Wizard and Glass, 
I think we had Wolves of the Kala. I might be leaving out a book. And of course we had the Dark Tower. I believe there's seven in the series. And then one that came after the series was completed, which I believe is called The Wind in the Keyhole, which kind of happens, um, I think, after the events of the, the Wolves of the Kala, either before or the after of Wolves of the Kala. As I've mentioned, it's been quite a while since I've read this book and quite a while since I read the entire series back to back. This is one or a series like I like to read this book singly. My other favorite is Wizard and Glass. If you wanted to read that book next, like if you wanted a prequel kind of first and spoilers, spoiler alert, if you wanted to read Wizard and Glass, you start off with what's going on in chronological order and then all of a sudden, here are spoilers if you don't want to hear it, turn this off now, you end up in Roland's youth. And I will say no more other than that's what that book is. And to me, I kind of wish the whole story had started that way first, but it didn't. And so it's kind of a break over what's happening in the series, and it's kind of a jarring break. But it is a wonderful, wonderful story, and I think standalone book on its own. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And almost as, as much as this one, though, this one is my favorite. And then the rest of the series, you know, is it just runs at a breakneck speed. So I hope you have enjoyed this. And again, this was Stephen King's The Gunslinger. And I've offered, you know, my, my private commentary. There's so much compare and contrast going on in this story. You can see why this might be a selection that is taught in college. Um, it's remarkable. It really is. And if it hasn't received the credit to do it now, in Stephen King's lifetime. I know that in future generations, this will be a book that will later be recognized as an American piece of literature, American writing that is standalone and, and outstanding. It's going to be a classic. I have that feeling. I might live or get to live the years to see that happen. So I know if I'm lucky, we'll see what happens. But I really love this book. Thank you, Sai King, for writing such a marvelous, marvelous story. And again, if I'm asked to remove this particular reading selection or story from my podcast, I, I will do so. I'm happy to do that. And I'm just so pleased, you know, that we got to share this together. All right, so a little bit of news about what's coming next for my next project. And I'm actually super excited to start this today. Today has been a full day of reading for me. <laughs> All right, so fan fiction, and I'm air quoting. You can't see me doing it, but I am fan fiction. Fan fiction is coming next. And as I've mentioned before, I have a great love of literature, writing, reading. I'm an avid reader. I read a lot, a lot. Um, it's how I personally decompress from a long day at work or if I'm stressed out. That is my form of escapism. It doesn't cost a thing other than your time to read. And I came across fan fiction kind of by accident uh, many years ago. And at first I was kind of taken aback by what I was reading. And I thought, what is this? Because, you know, a lot of people are book purists. And it caught me off guard, and it was disquieting, and it was uncomfortable. And then, then I just read it for what it was. And through the years, I have found that I love reading fan fiction. So because there is such a lack of fan fiction that you can listen to on podcasts. You know, you can find many, many reading sources, but if you wanted to listen to it online or through a podcast, there's really not a venue 
for aspiring writers at this time to really showcase their talent. I want to bring this to you. And so in our next season, I will be showcasing some fan fiction pieces inspired by the wizarding world of Harry Potter. So if you're at all interested, please let me know. I have three wonderful writers who have agreed to let me read uh, their short fiction pieces. I have one complete what's called a one-shot. I have also a um, kind of canon-inspired... I have two one-shots and, and one that's the beginning of a larger piece. So if, you're, if you like Harry Potter and you kind of want to try something new, give me a listen. This will be my season three. And I'll start off first with kind of an explanation of what fan fiction is and isn't. So we'll look forward to that. That posting or first posting should be up later tonight if you're wanting to listen to this. And thank you for joining me at SEPA Stories. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. And please keep listening and Let's support our young or our, our local writers, our creative writers, and give them a boost. So with that, good night, and we'll see you next time.